Hi, I'm Bethany Godso, the Associate Vice President for Career and Leadership Development at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and each member of our community has an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Miriam Miller with All in a Day's Work. We're sitting down today with Ina Hallelu, who is an NYU alumna, and we're really excited to have her here to join us. Ina, if you would, just walk us through your life for a moment and catch our listeners up on what it is that you've been up to. Sure. Thanks, Miriam, for having me. It's great to be sort of back virtually at NYU. Uh, My name is Ina, and as Miriam mentioned, I am a 2015 NYU alum. I received my master's in international affairs, specialized in international development from the Graduate School of Arts and Science and NYU Wagner School of Public Service. Before that, I actually come from Cameroon. I'm, I'm half Cameroonian, half Malagasy. And then I grew up in Cameroon and I moved to Paris when I was about 10 years old and moved to the UK to get my undergrad. I always wanted to kind of like get a global education and particularly studied in international affairs. And then that's how I got into school in the UK and decided to make the move to the US because my dream was to work for the UN. I did work for the UN for one year. After that, I left and now I'm actually in venture capital. So obviously you've had somewhat of a circuitous path to where you are now and it's pretty different from where you began. So Talk a little bit more about some of those first jobs after you finished school and what they were like and how you got them. Yeah, absolutely. So to to answer this question, I think it's quite important for for me to sort of trace back how I got my why. So, you know, growing up in Cameroon, to me, you know, I, I, I was, you know, raised by parents that really focused on education. For them, it was, you know, make sure that you get good grades in school. And, and, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll be fine. So for me, I always wanted to, you know, create an impact, especially seeing a lot of my cousins and aunts that did not necessarily get the same opportunities as, as I had. So especially when you look at women in Cameroon, they didn't necessarily have access to an education like the way I did. So I always felt that to me, I had to sort of give back to the community. And so that's why for me, working for the UN and especially at sort of like this international organization level would really create a change. And so it became really, really excited about working for a big organization. And so that's how I basically moved to the US, got into NYU and basically, you know, made my way and built all those network to kind of like get my, my foot in the door at the UN. And I started as an intern. And then eventually I worked in the media department, which was really interesting. And I realized that, you know, to me, the UN might not be the place for me. And so I I decided to leave. And at the same time, I was also conducting my graduate research on the role of technology for social change in the DR Congo, particularly for conflict resolution. So became really interested about technology. And then I realized that technology has a great impact, especially in an Africa context. And so I became really excited about, you know, what we can do with technology in Africa. And so from there, I, I got a fellowship to move back to Cameroon, uh, do some research around, you know, into how to build a social enterprise. And the focus of that fellowship was on sanitation. So my, my main focus of my study was how to provide access to toilets to marginalized communities in big cities and in urban areas. And that was my entry to sort of the world of how to utilize tech, tech in Africa, but also entrepreneurship, which is ultimately, you know, where I, where I ended. That's an incredible story. And you said a few things in there I want to touch on. You talked about that idea of working at the UN as being 
this sort of long-term goal that you had had for a lot of people when they've worked towards something for a lot of their life and then they achieve it, it's really, really hard to let go of and sort of feel like, okay, maybe this is not the final destination for me after all. I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about your transition from one sector to another, because you have moved around a little bit into entrepreneurship and now into venture capital. How do you feel like you've been able to make that transition? To answer this question, I want to build on something that you said just before, which I think is key. We tend to focus a lot on, you know, that sort of destination. You know, once I get to the UN, I'm going to be super happy with my life. And I think many times we tend to forget about the process. It's actually all about the process. Reinventing myself has actually been extremely interesting and extremely rewarding, a a big of a lesson, actually. If as a person, I knew from the beginning that I wanted, what I wanted to do was to create impact in my communities. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I know that's what I'm going to do. The the mechanism I was going to use was the UN. Well, the UN turned out to not work out quite well, but doing my graduate research, I realized that, you know, technology was actually something that could be a great tool for that. And I decided to dive a little deeper into it. And now technology is super pervasive. I mean, we use technology in every aspect of of our lives. So how can I tweak technology and really apply it to everything that I'm doing? And so I came across that fellowship. And again, you know, I was really out there and looking for other opportunities. And I, you know, I got the fellowship. I was actually the very first fellows. So in a way, you know, I was sort of like, you know, testing out this entrepreneurial journey, but at the same time, helping an entrepreneurial organization really invent itself. So I wasn't a co-founder of that company, but in a way I was, you know, part of that creation. And then, you know, when I was doing that, I realized that, you know, maybe running a company might not be what I, I need to do right now. So I came back to the U.S., but I knew that entrepreneurship was where I needed to be. It didn't take me that long because I actually started another company together with other people. And that company was an education and technology startup. And the idea was to close the diversity gap in the, in, in the tech world. And so that was something that I was completely, you know, oblivious to, you know, being someone that comes from a very diverse background. I mean, I grew up in Africa, grew up in Europe and in in the U.S. To me, you know, that diversity was never a problem, but I realized that it was a big issue here in in this country, especially in, in industry like tech. And so... The startup was really timely and I really realized that, you know, that we were able to achieve quite a lot. So, you know, I was running the startup, which was very, very painful and very difficult as any entrepreneur that might be listening to that might feel. But I really asked myself, do, do I want to be an entrepreneur or do I want to support an ecosystem of people, of entrepreneurs? And that's how, you know, I got another opportunity to run a social impact accelerator. So again, to kind of like touch on my, my interest in tech, social impact, um, entrepreneurship. And then as I was running that accelerator, I realized that some of the founders that I was, I was working with had the same issues that I had when I was running my own company. You know, I really asked myself, surely there is something, there is something there that could be what we could do, especially when it pertains to raising money. And, you know, no matter where you're from and where you are, raising money is a problem. And that's how I really became really excited about the field of venture capital as an industry that can have an impact on economic development, social development, and so forth. And that's kind of like how I became really excited about this as as a space to be in. And what do you think has been the biggest adjustment for you in doing what you're doing now in venture capital from where you had come from previously? Yeah, that's, that's, hmm, that's a good question. I think, you know, I didn't really see it as readjusting in any way i mean of course it's it's about you know learning the job learning the things you know learning in, in a new team being part of a new environment and readjusting really to different type of people but ultimately i think that it, it was just more about 
learning to unlearn some of the things that I, I, I may have assumed and, and these type of things. And, and I really believe that my, my, my stint in entrepreneurship really helped me to roll the punches. And no one really teaches you how to be an entrepreneur. No one really teaches you how to do things. So you kind of like have to find answers for yourself. And so that definitely has been a bit of a readjustment. And I'm really, really glad that I went through that, honestly. You said you had to learn to unlearn things. Can you tell me what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So when you come in with certain assumption, preconception about certain things, maybe certain people, and you really realize that, well, all the assumptions that you have may not hold to be true. For example, at the UN, you, everything is process-driven and everything already exists. Well, when you join a new organization, don't necessarily assume that all of those things that you were used to exist. So you, you may actually have to take matter in hand and actually build it yourself. In fact, one thing that I've really realized most of the time, people don't tend to really know what they're doing together. That's how you figure out how to, you know, to get to those answers. And so that's one thing that I've, I've had to learn. And, and I think that I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I, I feel confident that I, uh, I, I, have a, I have a good understanding of how to, you know, manage others and manage, you know, unexpected situations and things like that. We'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip with Joe Mercadante. For this episode's career tip, we're going to talk about interviewing, specifically the STAR method and how you can use the STAR method to be effective in your interviewing style. So what does the STAR method mean? It stands for situation, task, action, result. And when do you need to use it? It's really important to be using this for behavioral style questions to give you some structure and to ensure that the interviewer can really keep track and understand where you're going with your answer. So situation, you want to describe the situation you were in. The task, identify what you were trying to achieve or what you were tasked with doing. Action, now this is the most important element, so make sure you beef this up a little bit more than the others. Specifically identify what was the action that you took. And then lastly, result. Close the question by stating an outcome of your situation. This really brings it all together. So an example of STAR method would be describe a time that demonstrated your leadership ability. So situation, last summer during my internship at the Office of the Comptroller's LGBTQ Directory of Services and Resources, T, I had the opportunity to be the lead for a project to develop a resource guide for the New York City LGBTQ community amongst our group of three interns. A, I brought everyone together to identify project goals, delegated tasks based on each person's strength and created a timeline for completion. And R, we were able to develop a comprehensive resource guide and present the project to the comptroller and mayor of New York City. So this can be a great resource when you're answering questions. Remember, it's not used for every interview question, but behavioral ones, it can really be essential to make sure that you're getting your point across and that the interviewer can really stay connected to you. And now, back to the episode. With the number of different types of roles that you've had and in the different types of contexts, do you feel like you've learned more about yourself and what you need from a career and what you need from your work to be satisfied? Absolutely. I think this is something that we don't necessarily, you want to say we, you know, as human beings, especially, you know, us in, you know, New York and any big cities that tend to be very busy. 
we tend to be a product of the society in which we are. We, need to, we may have certain goals that we need to hit. We do them. We might enjoy the process. We might not necessarily enjoy the process. Maybe some of us are miserable in our jobs, and that's unfortunate. But sometimes we tend to forget about ourselves in the process. And, and I definitely, definitely fundamentally believe that my roles and now the thing that I want is more learning about myself and the things that I want. So I have, I have, I have crafted what I call my energy budgets. So my energy budget is very simple to understand. I spend my energy and my attention the same way that I want to spend my money, which I like to think wisely. I will not do things that, you know, don't necessarily make sense to me and won't necessarily um, help me to move forward in my career. If you do not respect your own time, no one will. No one will respect it either. And so I think it's very important to set boundaries, prioritize, you know, carefully, and really have purpose in everything that we do. So don't just do things because, you know, your boss asks you to do that. Of course, you know, your, your job number one is to make sure that, you, you know, your boss is happy, of course. But ultimately, you want to also find pleasure and you want to, 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 to find some learning in the things that, in the things that you're doing. I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about navigating identity in this field. I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but can you talk a little bit about your experience and what it's been like for you as a woman of color in a field that hasn't always had a reputation for being especially diverse or inclusive? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked this question because especially in light of what's been happening, you know, lately in this country and across the world, I think this is a very timely uh, totally discussions actually, it's been interesting, like, to say the least, you know, again, I, and that I'll bring that back again to kind of like where, where I come from. So, you know, I grew up in Cameroon, you know, I, I'm a black woman, um, I'm an African woman, you know, I, I, I am a very much very proud of my heritage. I'm a, an African product, I like to say. And, and I was, you know, I was raised by parents that obviously knew they've, they've, they've been, they've faced, you know, they've been, the, oftentimes they've been the only one in the room, and they, they, they very much they were very much aware of that. However, the way they raised my sister and I was never in light of you know you will always be the only one doing that. You will always be fully in a room where you probably are the only you know black woman. I, I never I never actually heard that. And as a result of that, I I just kind of like developed a very strong work ethic. So I just focused on you know just do really well, and that's my way of standing out. So I never really saw the color of my skin, my gender, uh, where I came from, my passport, because I still hold my Cameroonian passport. I never saw it as, a, as, a, as actually as an obstacle. I actually saw this, my cultural diversity as uniqueness and actually as, as something that is really rich and something to be really proud of. When I walk into a room, my goal is to own the room. I mean, I'm not going to you know, shrink myself. I'm not going to sit in the corner. I will, you know, I will make sure that I am being heard. If I'm being asked for my opinion, I will state it. I fundamentally believe that if I'm now in venture capital, I have a bigger purpose. You know, I have a bigger purpose to amplify other voices of marginalized communities that have, that may not have their voices heard in that space. And I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not shy to say that. You know, and and frankly, you know, venture capital tech is a space that you know, yes, tend to be very homogeneous. And now, obviously, there has been a lot of discussions around that. But frankly, it's, it's pretty much all industries, really, that tend to be, you know, dominated by certain groups. I am not scared of the way I look. I am not scared. Maybe I will say things that people, you know, might not want to hear. Then that, that's not really my problem. I mean, that's if they have, if they, if people are have are feeling uncomfortable by the things that I'm saying, that's they have internal struggle that they need to figure out themselves, and it's not my job to, to you know, to help them figure that out. It sounds like, you know, you're someone who, as you said, really can go into a room and, and own that room. Do you feel like you have always had that? Do you feel like 
that's something you've had to grow into. And, and what what other things might you say to someone who is still trying to find that voice and that confidence, especially when they might be navigating spaces that are more homogenous? I feel like I've always been, to answer your question, I've always been, I've, I've always been that way. I've always been someone that, you know, my, my, my father, I remember vividly, my father's favorite words to me were, were you know, stop self-centering. So, you know, to, to him was, you know, never say that you cannot do something. And and in fact, when, whenever someone tells me that I can't do something, I, I really actually take it personally that I'm going to do that thing to show them that I can. Um, so it actually becomes almost a, a, a personal sort of challenge. But, but I would say, to someone who is trying to figure it out, I think the key step is to ask yourself, how can you be a better person? So when you wake up every morning, one thing that I've always done is, you know, when I wake up every morning is what can I do today to be a better person than yesterday? And so ultimately the battle and the challenge becomes between you and you. Let's say when we look at, you know, now these days we're talking a lot about, you know, being a black woman, maybe in an industry that is very white male dominated, for instance. Well, I stop thinking about what white males are thinking. I'm going to think about what am I doing right now and what can I do tomorrow to be in a better position for myself, but to also amplify others that look like me, who, who might not have the same opportunities. How, what can I do to amplify them? And do you feel like you find small ways or big ways to bring your authentic self to work every day? It's, it's about understanding who you are as a person and who you want to become. To people that are thinking about, you know, what they want to bring into work and what their authentic self is, you know, it's, it, it shouldn't be something that is difficult to find out, I believe. It should be something, you know, who you are, who do you want to be, and what is it that you want to showcase? You really want to, to know what, what are people saying about you when you're not in the room? And what are the, maybe the three takeaways, or what are the three words that you want people to have? And, and what can you do to make sure that this is the kind of impression that you leave? So, yeah, in my case, for example, I want people to know that I am someone who is, you know, I am an African. I am deeply passionate about Africa, someone who wants to create an impact and wants to do it in a way that, you know, is ethical and and especially very compassionate. And so those are the things that I want people to remember about me. So how can I make sure that what can I do to convey that message without saying it, without going around and saying, hey, guys, I'm compassionate. Well, no, you have to show that you have to prove that. We really appreciate your taking the time to sit down with us today and talk a little bit about your experience and your work. It's been really, really interesting and always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log onto our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Miriam Miller with episode guest Ina Hallelujah. We're produced and edited by me, Lily Smith, and created with support from Mia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Dana Rosa, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, Carrie Pannoni, and Sarah Rosenthal. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.